Stay tuned for Corporations and Democracy. First you told us only through you could we know God And if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors For you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars Now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do You say the world around us belongs fairly to the few But about six billion people no doubt will agree This world is our home not your property, it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would enclose the land all around the earth, our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. With our sweat we built the railroads, built cities on these shores, but because you own the money, you see that it's all yours We laid the phone lines and the pipelines And then right before our eyes You see these things are taxes paid for You now will privatize Privatize the hospitals Privatize the schools Privatize the prisons For all those who break your rules And preparing for the day When all the wells run dry You see you own the very rain That falls down from the sky But it's the commons Our right of birth you who'd own the water all around the earth Our future is your downfall Only cut this ball and shame You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain You claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds You claim to own the genomes of every animal that breeds You claim to own our culture and the music that we play And with each song that we download To your coffers we must pay You'd even own my name And yet say it's for the best Maybe you'll let us on your radio And our songs can pass your test You own country, you own western You say you've given us a choice You may own the airwaves But you'll never own my voice It's the commons, our right of birth And you who'd own the music All around the earth future is your downfall when you cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. It's the cons, our right of birth, and you who would own everything. The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and the host, and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good evening and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for June 16th, 2022. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. In today's program, we'll be discussing corporate influence in California's proposed new tax on solar energy produced at your home. Part of the proposed third generation of uh, California's Net Energy Meet Metering Program. That's N-E-M. You'll hear that uh, acronym a few times. Net Energy Meeting Meet Metering Program. And that's proposed by the California Public Utility Commission, the CPUC. We have two guests with us today. Dave Rosenfeld is the Executive Director of the Solar Rights Alliance. This is a uh, California nonprofit association of solar energy users, including homeowners, renters, businesses, nonprofit schools, and others who believe that their solar energy is a valuable community resource 
and should be credited as such when they share it with the grid. Dave has been a community organizer for over 20 years and believes people power is the best way to overcome special interests. Loretta Lynch is a member, was a member of the California Public Utilities Commission and for five years, 2000 through 2004, appointed by Governor Gray Davis, and she was president for the first three years and uh, then served out her term through the end of 2004. So let's have a look at corporate influence in the CPU's proposed tax on home solar power, and that's in their new net metering program. Dave Rosenfeld, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And Loretta Lynch, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Steve and Annie. And David, uh, I think we'll start with you, um, but let me begin with a quote from the website of the Solar Rights Alliance. Quote, across California, lobbyists for the utility industry are working to make it harder and more expensive for Californians to choose solar energy. In recent years, they tried to kill net metering, hit solar owners with new fees, and grab control of the next generation of solar technology. End quote. Dave, what the heck is going on, and what is this new proposal that uh, that's out there? So let's first talk about where we are and where we once were. 15, 20 years ago, there was not very much rooftop solar in California. And if you wanted it, if you wanted to make energy from the sun, you had to be one of three things. You had to be rich, you had to be very, very technical, or you had to be unbelievably committed. And today, you don't have to be any of those three things to power your home or business or school or church with the sun. Um, there's now over 1.4 million solar rooftops serving millions and millions of people. Last The last year we have data, just under half of all new solar is going into middle and working class neighborhoods. There is a astonishingly large amount of solar that is going onto multifamily homes. Um, affordable housing developers are putting solar on their developments because it allows them to build more units and then charge lower rent. We are just at the cusp, just just at the cusp of solar really getting into the hands of the working class. It is an emerging disruptive technology like the way cell phones and TVs and cars once were. We're right at that point. And it's just at that point now that the utilities want to burn solar to the ground and rip it out of everybody's hands and take us back to the days that solar was only available for rich people. And the engine that drives solar adoptions in California that has made it something that can get into the hands of middle and working class and everyday people is a policy that's called net energy metering or net metering. We'll refer to it sometimes as NEM also. And it's a very simple policy that allows, when you, when you make energy, most of the time you're just powering your fridge or your air conditioner or your or whatever, your lights. But when you make more energy than what you're using, it goes out your meter, it spins it backwards, it goes into the local wires, and then the utility sells that energy to your neighbors. And then at the same time that it sells it to your neighbors, it credits you, the solar producer, the one that invested in that system, more or less the same. So it's a wash for the utility. They didn't make the energy. You pay basically to ship it because you're still paying for the poles and the wires. 
but it's a very efficient way for the energy that you make to get shared with your neighbors um, rather than being pulled from really far away and to get a credit for it. And that is what has made it all happen. Net energy metering was started in the mid-90s. Um, it was revised. The utilities tried to kill it in 2015. Um, the, they failed to do that. It was a big public campaign to defend it. But it, it made some, the CPUC, the Public Utilities Commission, made some changes in 20, 2015, 2016. And now where we are today is the utilities are in an all-out effort to convince the current Public Utilities Commission to gut net metering once again. Um, and the, the Utilities Commission, at first blush, appears to be listening to the utilities. And so in December they made a proposal that was more or less what the utilities have been lobbying them to do. And the proposal will get in for more of it, but in short, it included a solar tax, a tax just for putting solar energy on your rooftop, um, and then deep cuts to the credit that consumers get for sharing their net, their extra energy with the grid. And on top of that, to weaken some of the protections that existing solar users have um, so that they would be more susceptible to these changes as well, in addition to future solar users. And so that's what the fight is all about, and we're going to talk about all of it and more um, for the remainder of the show. And, Stephen, Annie, this solar fight, this solar tax fight that's happening at the PUC right now basically boils down to two things. The utilities don't want competition, and rooftop solar uh, reduces people's need to buy power from PG&E, and that means it reduces PG&E's profits. And... PG&E wants to profiteer off of its customers by building more and more and more really expensive transmission lines because they make higher profits on transmission lines, whether we need them or not. So more community solar that's distributed throughout local communities means less need for those big, expensive transmission lines that, as we all know, can cause wildfires too. Of course, we're, oh, sorry. We're, we're hearing the utilities talk about, but but we need solar equity. Do you want to say what that really means, if anything? Sure. Well, let's talk about equity. How do we make sure that poor people aren't holding aren't left holding the bag for rich people? Well, number one, uh, various customers uh, subsidize other customers all the time. So, for instance. Residential customers, all residential customers, subsidize industrial, big commercial, and agricultural customers. And we all subsidize the sellers of electricity made from biomass because it's a really expensive way to produce electricity. But the California legislature said, hey, we want the rice fields, you know, to be uh, made into electricity, so we're all going to pay for that. But, <laughs> but what's really bad here in terms of equity is if we kill the rooftop solar industry, that's going to mean one of two things. Either really big solar plants out in the desert, which is going to destroy fragile ecosystems, or and or is going to require more running of the oldest, stinkiest, most polluting fossil fuel plants that are not located in Mendocino and they're not located in Marin, they're located in disadvantaged communities of color. And so if we kill rooftop solar, that means more burning of fossil fuels in those communities, which are already overburdened by industrial pollution and air pollution. Um, so What's really, what we're really talking about here is making sure that we stop using those power plants and rebuild those communities 
through the broad-based use of rooftop solar. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, right. And, and the utilities have never cared about equity. They never have cared about it, and they certainly never will. And so, of course, they have to come up with some answer. You know, they have to come up with some explanation for why they're trying to kill rooftop solar. So they pretend all of a sudden to care about equity. Mm-hmm. But if you want to care about equity, then give people a technology that allows them to go from paying three to five hundred dollars a month for their energy to paying zero. Mm-hmm. That'd be the way to help help actually people out. In the in the big picture. Um, of history uh, and considering uh, climate change, which uh, we are very in tune with uh, here in this area, and and I I am working on that with some other groups locally. And matter of fact, I should put in a plug for the for the city of Vicaya. Just last night, the city council adopted a climate emergency resolution. Uh, give the uh, give the issue some uh, some additional priority for attention in the, in the city. So, a plug to them and a thank you to them. Uh, but again, in the big picture of history, the race is on. Um, how fast can we convert the state to as much renewable, clean energy as possible? And anything that slows it down, whatever the excuse is, is not a good excuse. You know, there again, the race is on. We need to move as fast as possible. So, what is your thinking about uh, about the new program relative to? whether there'll be more solar adopted or less solar adopted in the new program. Under any circumstance, anything close to what the CPUC has put on the table currently, anything close to it um, will cause solar adoptions to plummet. And this isn't just guesswork. We have seen very similar proposals as to what the CPUC is floating get passed in in places in California, like in the Imperial Irrigation District. We've seen it happen in entire states like Hawaii and Nevada, and when it happens, solar adoptions plummet, the industry collapses, thousands of people are laid off. We've seen this. We've, we've seen this over and over again. We've seen that even small changes to net metering cause consumers to stop adopting solar. So we, we, we already know what's going to happen if the CPC comes close to what's going on. And as you say, it would be the height of insanity to do anything that would slow down the adoption of solar when when the state itself other agencies not the cpuc that are not captured by the utility like the energy commission or the air resources board they're saying we need to triple or quadruple the amount of rooftop solar that we currently have in addition to all of the other renewable energy like that we need to put online Mm -hmm. to even have a prayer of meeting california's decarbonization goals and so you really have a right-left issue going on here with our government. Mm-hmm. And that part of state government, the fact-based, rational, non-co-opted by the utilities part of state government, has recognized over and over again that California just can't get to 100% renewable without broad adoption of rooftop solar. Basically, paying customers for their excess community solar electricity is the cheapest fastest, most reliable, and safest way to bring clean energy into California. So why in the world would the Newsom administration be poised to kill it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to answer your question, Annie, about what will this proposal do to low-income customers, right, we're talking about equity, it's real clear that under the current 
uh, under the current rooftop solar program, a typical low-income customer recoups the cost of going solar in 10 to 13 years, and they save about $130 a month on their utility bill. But this new proposal that the utilities cooked up and the PUC is poised to rubber stamp would push that payback period for low-income homeowners way beyond the 20-year life of the solar systems in both PG&E and Edison Territory in Southern California. And didn't want to stop there from taking every penny from consumers. It would also make it harder for renters to benefit from solar by reducing how the credit works for apartment buildings. So instead of expanding and making it easier for apartment owners to go solar and then to pass that savings on to their customers... Because as we know, many lower income folks rent and they don't own. This proposal makes it harder. So it goes backward in every way imaginable. And it seems like it's also backwards that this equity thing that you keep hearing from PG&E has to do with a stereotype about people that own solar panels like you were saying before, Dave, 15 years ago. That's right. It's an absolute stereotype. All you have to do is just drive through your neck of the woods, drive through any neighborhood in Fresno. The, the, the highest per capita solar adoptions are happening in the lowest income counties in the state, mostly in the Central Valley. It, in, in fact, the current common sense net metering system that we have now, it ain't broke. Why are they trying to break it? Is the reason why almost just under half of all the rooftop solar market in California is currently in low and moderate income neighborhoods because it makes sense to lower your utility bill and there are other programs where you can fold it into your mortgage and then some apartment building owners are putting it up and providing a benefit to their tenants. I'm very struck by that. That, that is not something I read preparing for the program. So the majority of solar going in is in modern low-income areas then? Not quite the majority just a, yet. Just no, under okay. half. Oh, just, just under half. half. Okay. Right. 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 It's, it's, still the a, trend line is remarkable. Like, yeah. you, can, you go back five years ago and it was like this, mm-hmm. but every year, you know, you just see it inching up. And that's exactly how disruptive technologies work. You know, first, okay, so. the rich people use it. Mm-hmm. Remember... You know, all the movies from the 80s where, like, some rich guy in his, like, convertible had this cell phone, this car phone, uh-huh. right? I, I do. And you just thought, oh, it's always going to be a rich guy. And it was a car phone built in. <laughs> built in, right? <laughs> was, yeah. And now here we are today. And, mm-hmm. like, cars, yeah, right? You know, just televisions. This is what rooftop solar is about to become. And the state could be working to accelerate that trend line so that it does become more than half, so that it becomes the majority. There's millions mm-hmm. and millions of ratepayers, right, mm-hmm. who could be benefiting from this. And the state has a choice to accelerate or to just do the bidding of utilities and squash it so that then the utilities can do another 100 years of no competition and screwing consumers. Well, you just reminded me of another point that you made earlier and that also I hadn't read in prepping for today. So there, there is actually documented cases for where programs like what is proposed in California went into other states and the rate of solar adoption then plummeted. Nevada. I mean, Nevada did exactly this thing over the wow. objections of you know consumers and the market collapsed. I mean, it was tragic. I mean, you had this thriving market of small businesses and so, you know solar workers mm-hmm. and you know, an opportunity for people to cut their energy bills so that they can buy more bread and all the other things that you need in life. Mm-hmm. And it just went away. And then there was a big backlash and they brought it back. But it took 
years for oh the market to recover, and it still hasn't recovered okay. from where it was. Hawaii is another example, and they just, this was featured in the New York Times a few weeks ago, they just finally, the decision makers said, whoops, whoopsie, turns out we need that rooftop solar, so let's bring it back. But why it's so? Why would you destroy something only then to just build it back again? California can avoid that calamity by just not making the mistake to begin with. Well, we'll, well, and my concern here is that if the PUC goes ahead and rubber stamps what the utilities want, imagine that, like they've never done that before, <laughs> then the utilities will quickly go build a whole lot of unnecessary infrastructure before California comes to its senses. So they will lard on even more outrageous costs that we don't need until before they say, oops, we made a mistake. But we will be paying for their oops yeah. and their mistakes for the, for the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah. yeah. And to put a price tag on that, because what Loretta's saying is, like, it has been modeled out. Some of the most detailed energy modeling that has ever been done with the most amount of data projects that if you just get to California's renewable energy goals with large-scale solar and wind farms and all that stuff alone, mm -hmm. that will be $120 billion more expensive over the next 30 years than if we do both the large-scale and lots and lots of local rooftop distributed solar and batteries. That's $300 per ratepayer per year more expensive if you do it the way that the utilities want it. So mm -hmm. this is not a theoretical exercise. This has been modeled out. We, we know the answers here. Okay. And the CPUC has this information. Well, would you tell us a little bit about what I'll call a dueling reports, dueling allegations, dueling claims, et cetera. I mean, the PUC has theirs, and there's other ind more independent uh, organizations that have created those, which I'm sure you're in favor of, and I've read a few, and they do seem sensible. So what is the status of their claims uh, using you know, reports from educational organizations or wherever, some of their consultants, versus reports that uh, you guys are relying on? Well, I'm not being paid by anybody, Steve and Annie. I'm just a former regulator who wants to have the best thing happen in California. Mm -hmm. So I'm not relying on any reports. I'm just reading these reports to determine the facts. Mm -hmm. And we've been seeing with the January 6th committee what a fact-free environment will bring American <laughs> democracy or an alternate fact environment. And mm -hmm. frankly, that's what the current PUC is living in right now. They commissioned a results-oriented put-up job in order to tip the scales to favor the utilities. And the way they did that was by putting blinders on and ignoring all the benefits of solar. And in fact, their proposed decision that they published in December mm -hmm. admits that. They said, we don't actually take into account all the benefits of rooftop solar. But despite the fact that we admit that our studies are let's just say less than fulsome or fact-based, they are moving forward. And they put out a recent ruling in May that said, hey, we're going to take another look at this, but we're not going to look. You can't criticize our study because many parties did criticize it uh, last year, so much so that the PUC basically ducked and covered. They said, you, we will not take any evidence about how our studies are flawed. Instead, all the things that the only evidence we will take is how we should charge solar customers more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll take any bet on that about which way the PUC is going to come out. They are intentionally trying to restrict their administrative record to only answer the question that they already have answered, which is how best to kill the solar program that currently works really well. Well, what I was leading to a minute ago then is 
where are these issues in legal territory? Um, you know, if the PUC adopts this, can the public en masse through nonprofit organizations such as your own uh, file suit on that for simply, um, you know, irrational findings that, that can't be supported? Uh, well, you'll love this, Stephen Annie. I am a lawyer by training. Uh-huh. And so when I got to the PUC, I was appalled because the PUC has special judicial review statutes that make it super hard to challenge one of their decisions. Uh-huh. So unlike every other administrative agency in California and every other PUC in the country, you can only appeal a PUC decision to the appellate courts. And unlike every other administrative agency, that appeal is not absolutely your right to have, right? In every other administrative agency, you file an appeal, the court has to take it and hear it. Mm -hmm. Not for the PUC. The courts have a discretionary um choice whether to take that appeal and so there aren't that many appeals taken because the courts are overburdened and i've talked to several appellate justices who say well the puc is so byzantine and it doesn't follow the normal rules for administrative agencies i just think it's too complicated to take a look at because it doesn't follow the normal legal rules the road so first you have to be a party in the pc's proceeding and you have to dance the kabuki dance of the kangaroo court Mm -hmm. at the puc Mm -hmm. then you lose then you have to ask the PUC to reconsider itself. Mm -hmm. And the PUC doesn't have any timelines by which it has to determine reconsideration. And then maybe you can go to court and maybe the appellate court will take it and maybe the appellate court will decide your way. The PUC, well, that's really the utilities, made sure that the PUC was carved out from all administrative procedures when it comes to judicial review. And why? Because if they can capture three of the five votes on the PUC, they that's are it. off and running. Mm-hmm. And that's why our electric rates are so darn high. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so you're, you're going back to well over 100 years ago when the PUC was first created. I mean, it was late 1800s, I believe, was it not? Although it wasn't called the PUC then, but it was the first regulatory action of its kind. Right. It was the Railroad Commission, and the railroads promptly co-opted it. And so then, by voter initiative in 1911, Hiram Johnson proposed a reform of the PUC. Mm -hmm. um, And that worked for a little bit until the utilities co-opted that. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is actually after World War II, when the Administrative Procedure Act was passed in California, as administrative agencies kind of took hold Mm -hmm. in the administrative state. And so every other administrative agency in California and across the country follows the same set procedures and how they decide, how they make a record, that they have to consider the evidence. They can't just do what the PUC just did and say, say hey, we're not going to even take your evidence on whether our studies are flawed or whether you have a better way. We're only going to take your evidence on how we charge solar customers more. Mm-hmm. That is not allowed in any other administrative agency. So the PUC, the utilities made sure that the PUC got to play by special rules that they control. And I can tell you, as a former PUC commissioner, they expect you to say, as a commissioner, when they say jump, that you're going to say how high and not why. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that gets us into then some of the some of the people involved. And let's start with uh, the, uh, the administrative law judge who wrote the original proposal, or at least her name is on it. This is the original pro- pro- proposal for it. NEM3, 
and it was in December this was uh, published. Administrative Law Judge Kelly A. Himes. What do we know about her and the influence that upon her from, uh, uh, well, any influence for, for career-wise and where she is, is sits now? I, I think I would offer that it's not so much about the individual people on mm -hmm. the CPUC. Yeah. It's about the system that Loretta is, is talking about. Because we could do a bio of any one of these individuals, and mm -hmm. you wouldn't they're, – they're all appointees, you know, political appointees mm -hmm. or civil servants. What's going on is that the CPUC is, is – the way it's – the reason why it's captured is two things. One is the, you know, the, the governor makes appointments to the CPUC, mm -hmm. and no matter what the governor says, they always say this, they meddle, they micromanage in the affairs of the CPUC when it suits their political agenda. Mm -hmm. This has been documented by ABC 10. This precedes Governor Newsom. So that there's, that's one thing that's going on. Mm -hmm. The second thing that's going on is because of the Byzantine system that has been set up, um, it is a utility lobbyist dream playing field. So they get in there, they surround everybody with their lobbyists. Um, there's a lot of revolving door going on. So Loretta is an that example of an upstanding, an upstanding CPUC commissioner who is doing the job for the right reasons, comes out into private life. But um, we have examples now of two former commissioners, one of whom is now the lead lobbyist for PG&E, mm -hmm. um, lobbying her former colleagues right now to mm -hmm. kill rooftop solar. Mm -hmm. and we have another one that's working for the same consulting firm um, that is Semper Energy, which is SDG&E. Um, and so SDG&E, San Diego... Uh, yes, an election, yes, an right? Yes. So, and as those are just the most obvious examples of the revolving door, but a lot of it is also just people who worked in the utilities who now go work for the CPUC, and then staff who work for the CPUC who go to the utilities. It becomes kind of like high school, both ways, where everyone just kind of knows each other, mm -hmm. and everyone just kind of takes conventional wisdom to be a fact. Mm -hmm. You have that plus then the influence of the governor, and the influence that P that the utilities and the utilities industry including pg&e's labor union has and then that's what's going on here it's not about the individuals it's about a system where then if you're the kind of person who asks why are we doing this or should we do it a different way you're then you know you're the odd person out in that kind of system mm -hmm. and you're not going to last very long in in, the, in that kind of uh, environment um so that's you know i i would just encourage it's not so much about the individuals about that and by the way and that's why at least on my end with the Solar Rights Alliance, we obviously want to do our best to persuade the commissioners what the right thing to do is. And we and our allies have put in lots and lots and lots of persuasive data and information for the record. But we should, for, for your listeners out there who are listening to this and being like, okay, geez, you can't fight City Hall. This is all about Governor Newsom. Mm -hmm. It's all about him. I mean, you, can, you should talk to the commissioners. You should make your voice heard. You should put in a public comment. But this issue with rooftop solar is going to get settled by what Governor Newsom wants. And he won't say that publicly, but it's, that's what it's going to come down to. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a kabuki dance, like what, what Loretta was saying. And for the everyday person that's listening here, your lever to have influence is going to be raining as much holy hell down on Governor Newsom until he takes a stand, which he has not mm -hmm. done up to this point. Mm -hmm. But I would say this. There is an opportunity this year and only this year um, for everyone to weigh in with their state senators. So 
Mike McGuire and Bill Dodd and Brian Dolly, all in Northern California, you need to pelt those folks with phone calls to say, do not confirm the two PUC commissioners who are up for confirmation until they do the right thing and reject the solar tax. Yes. Yes. And because these folks have to be confirmed by the end of August or they can't stay on the commission past this year. And um, the last PUC president was not confirmed. Mary Bell Batcher only served, did not serve past last December because the Senate did not take up her confirmation because she, you know, did the wrong thing too many times. So people have a say because their state senators have a say. And if enough PUC commissioners fail to get confirmed because enough state senators say, hey, you did the wrong thing, the system would change. That's right. Okay. And where is calls for that action uh, coming out from? Is the the solar, uh, just space it, the uh, Solar Rights Alliance? Are you doing, uh, um, you know, calls for action on that? Yes. I will will say this as many times as you're going to let me say it on this show, is if you do nothing else after listening to this program, call the governor, 916-445-445. 2841 his uh, his phone lines are open 9 to 5 Monday through Friday 916-445-2841 and then if you want to know additional things go to the Solar Rights Alliance website which you can just google Solar Rights Alliance will pop up or you can go to solarrights.org and I will repeat that as many times as you'll let me do it because okay. we want people to have a way to take action. We'll yes, and we'll repeat it again at the end of the show. And uh, and I and I gather you people would say things like, "We need more solar, not less." We need more solar, not less. No solar tax. And we don't want the rate of uh, solar solar implement, uh, implementation in California to do a nosedive like it did in Nevada or Hawaii in past years. So Look, if Governor Newsom just stood up one day, if tomorrow he woke up and called the TV cameras together and just said, I believe there should not be a solar tax. We should not tax the sun. And I believe we should have more rooftop solar, not less. Mm -hmm. And he didn't say a word more. This fight will be done with. That's all he has to say. And that the signals will be clear to the, to the, to the folks down at the commission. He has not even said that he has been given many opportunities. So we have to press him and press him hard. Okay, let me mention, recap a little bit. We are speaking with two guests today on Corporations and Democracy. We're speaking with Dave Rosenfeld, who is the Executive Director of the Solar Rights Alliance. That's solarrights.org, if you want to look it up while you're listening. And Loretta Lynch, who is a former president of the CPUC, going going back about 20 years. We're talking about corporate influence in the the pending decision of the California, California Public Utilities Commission. Uh, about a new tax on home solar energy. If you'd like to get in a question or comment, the number here is the traditional 895-2448. That's in area code 707. Again, 895-2448. And Loretta, you mentioned uh, earlier while, while we're talking about how people should respond, uh, you talked a little bit about how people did respond before in mass, which is why they had to kind of pull back in the first place. you want to elaborate on a little bit on what that response was? Well, sure. Basically, the utilities work best in secret. And so they like to keep everything behind the scenes and behind the, 
curtain of the Wizard of Oz as possible because that's how they make the most money. Um, and one of the things that, that your listeners should also know is that the PUC right now is fighting a court case where ABC 10 in Sacramento is just trying to get some emails between the current commission president who used to work in the governor's office and the PUC over a variety of subjects, including wildfire responses and how much they were kowtowing to PG&E in their wildfire response. And the PUC is claiming that they are exempt from the Public Records Act oh my God. because they are because they're not treated by statute like most other um, administrative agencies. But as we know, the Public Records Act was passed in the 70s, mm-hmm. and it didn't carve out the PUC. Mm-hmm. And the PUC, with a straight face, hired you know, lawyers at millions of dollars a cost to go in and say, we don't have to follow the Public Records Act because we're the PUC. And even the appellate court justices who were there expressed disbelief that the PUC would take that position. Mm -hmm. But that's how bad it is that the PUC um, coordinates with the utilities in secret to basically give them what they want. So Dave's group and a lot of other groups, including dozens of environmental groups including the sierra club have raised a ruckus to say hey the solar uh, program that california has works and it is creating more and more rooftop solar which is the cheapest cleanest fastest uh, most reliable and safest way to go why would we intentionally try to break it in order to provide pg e even more profits than they already have why would we do this and so uh, because of their great grassroots work the legislature paid attention and the governor paid some attention enough to say pull it back and reconsider mm-hmm. but now we know how the puc is reconsidering the puc is reconsidering with blinders on and as long as they have the blinders to the facts then they will act inappropriately Okay, and let me just, just for the record then, it was, uh, uh, I mentioned the December date when, when it was introduced, then it was pulled back. It was originally scheduled for a vote in late January, but it was pulled back by the CPUC in February, and then repackaged, shall we say, and reintroduced in the early May, uh, without any fundamental uh, changes, and still with the solar tax and, and something called the glide path to make solar unaffordable uh, for working and middle class people, etc. And so, um, and then again, dates coming up. There is um, uh, uh, contacting senators before the end of next month. Did you say is helpful, or at the end of August? Did you say? I'd say right now. We don't want them to vote until the PUC makes the right decision. Mm -hmm. And we certainly want them to vote no if the PUC makes the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Vote no. I would say don't vote at all until they act. Mm -hmm. So see what they're going to do before you give them a six-year term in kowtowing to the utilities. Mm -hmm. Let's see if they're going to break a program that isn't broken, that works well, before you give them a six-year government job. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, again, 895-2448 if you'd like to get in a conversation. That's an area code 707-895-2448 if you have any questions about influence in the CPUs, uh, from corporate influence, in the CPU's decision on net metering, uh, the next generation of net metering 3.0. And that other number that we're going to give out as many times as Dave wants is the governor's office. To talk to the governor, 916 Four four five two eight four one. 
Thank you. And in full disclosure, I called that a few weeks ago. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good on you. That's great. You and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have done that. We've had whole days where we know that the governor's phone lines have been shut down. The reason why, as Loretta mentioned, the CPUC's original proposal in December was paused was because the governor was pressed by reporters to say, what do you think of this thing? And he said, well, I think changes ought to be made. That's all he said. Okay. But that came after people like you, many of your listeners and people all over the state, flooded his office with phone calls. Okay. And let's, let's take so our first matter. call here. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. What's your uh, first name and from where are you calling? Yeah, this is Chris from Utah. And it's Hello, a great Chris. show and uh, certainly an important topic for the future of the world. And I just wanted to say that as someone who put in a uh, 10KW, and that's corrected for, you know, all the inefficiencies in the system, um, years ago and then sold that house, and then here I am working on another house, and I've been looking at putting in a solar array, and this time I'm looking at um, 20KW because of electric cars, and I'm looking to get an electric pickup, and I pulled out you know, propane stoves and put in electric stoves, and I'm now heating with heating and cooling with mini splits, and you know, moving in the direction we're trying to move with, you know, direct electricity instead of, um, you know, using fossil fuels for everything. And so the effect that it is having is here I sit, not spending the money, not doing it, and I talked to two different solar installs or installers, and both of them advised me to hold off because we don't know what's going to happen. It may not pay. You may want to reconfigure your system differently, depending on what happens with these rulings. So what I'm trying to do is give you the feedback right now of somebody who was going to put in the 20KW system, and now I'm looking at it going, you know, I just don't know if this is going to pay, and, you know, maybe I just got to give in to PG&E. So um, I just wanted to put that in as the real consequences in the field that are happening right now. And, and I would just urge you never give in to PG&E. Um, and the reason, it, you have another option, which is solar plus batteries. And this option is new to all Californians. Batteries really weren't at the stage that they were commercially feasible and made economic sense until the last five years or so. And frankly, a whole new set of batteries are, are going to be coming online in 2023 and the price is going to be dropping. So if you put in that 20 kV system with batteries sufficient to really uh, gather enough electricity when you know, making hay when the sun shines, you'll be poised if the PUC kills this golden goose here, you'll be poised to cut the cord and go off the grid and never pay PG&E another dime. So Are they going to have a severance fee for disconnecting from the grid? Because I know some people, have, some places have done that where it's pretty expensive to disconnect. Well, don't give PG&E that um, idea. I haven't heard that floated around the PUC yet, but I agree with you. Uh, that would be uh, that would be their next step is to make sure that all their customers are captive. But right now, that isn't the case in California. So if you go right now before they change and put your batteries in, you can cut that cord before that decision's final. So if I'm doing load shifting and still having some kind of net metering, I could run off my batteries in the high times and then recharge my batteries from them at their lowest rate. Would that still be possible? 
Well, so that's the other thing that I was going to do. I don't have a battery. I was going to install a battery and do exactly that. Basically say, okay, pg e you don't have to pay me for my excess power. I'll put all that excess power in a battery and I'll use it later. Um, um, and pg e has already thought that through and went to the commission and said, oh, you got to close this loophole because those pesky solar customers are going to figure out it makes more sense to stick their excess power into their own battery than to go put it out on the grid and let everybody use it if we're successful and don't pay for it anymore. Because essentially, pg e is asking to take your excess power for free and then charge your neighbors to use that power. <laughs> hey, you know, it's not the fool who asks. So most people are saying, yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, and if the PUC stops allowing us to uh, get paid for our excess power, we'll keep it and use it ourselves. So that's another reason to install batteries now, because that could be a, another way the PUC goes. Is there a battery formulation existing now that you feel is mature enough to switch into, other than the old lead acids where we only got like 10 years of life out of them if we're lucky? Well, so that's why I say there's a whole new generation of batteries coming down the pike that um, I have heard are, are going to be commercialized and on the market in early 2023, which these days isn't that far away. So you can set it up just to plug and play as soon as those batteries uh, come on the market. But I'd also defer to Dave on that because he knows a lot more about the technical uh, capacity of batteries plus solar. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is that the you know the commercially available batteries for consumers like yourself are now uh, lithium ion, and uh, so they're very different than lead acid. And um, you can, as Loretta said, you could you could choose to just wire your new system for batteries, but not get the batteries, or you could just get the whole shebang all at once. It's absolutely the case that when you have a battery, all that extra energy flows into the battery, and then you when the sun's not shining, then the battery becomes your 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 sunshine. Um, yeah. We have on our website, the Solar Rights Alliance website, a consumer guide. So if you go to solarrights.org, there's a blue button that's called the consumer guide, and it's got a list of articles. And one of them is uh, tips for shopping around for solar-powered batteries. And so you oh, okay. may want to consult there, and we, we try to keep that updated. In the end, you're, you know every consumer's got to make their own choice, right? And none of us can predict exactly what the CPUC is going to do. Um, so, of course, you can come up with all kinds of reasons not to do something. You should, of course, as a consumer, never feel pressured into doing anything. But it is yeah. the case that solar plus batteries, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing that right now. And it's a great option that allows you to have full control of your solar energy. Yeah. And Chris, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your show. Great show. Chris, I'd love to see what you're doing at, a, you know, some, someday, if you don't mind calling into the station tomorrow and uh, send your contact information, give it, give it to whoever, whoever answers and have them get it to me, Steve Gamanini. Uh, just, yeah. uh, they'll get it to me. I'd love to see what you're up to. Well, and okay. one other thing, Chris. Okay. One other thing, Chris. I'm going to pick up the next caller, but. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to drop you. Thanks very much. And caller, can you please hold for a moment? Loretta, you, whoops. Can you turn your phone off in the background, too? Loretta, you were saying something. Did you finish first? I was just going to say, and make sure you get a dual in inverter so that you can uh, charge your electric car and also discharge your electric car into your system. Ah, okay. All right, caller, you are live on the air. What's your first name and from where are you calling? Hi, my name is Doug. Uh, I'm I just had Dave on my show, the Renewable Energy Hour. Oh, I, I know that voice. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, a couple of opinions. Yep. 
for the for the previous caller, I would move as quickly as possible to put in a non-battery system before the rules change, and put in a system that can easily have batteries added later. Uh, I agree with Dave that uh, lithium-ion is probably the way to go at the moment, and I would specifically recommend lithium-iron phosphate for its lack of cobalt and other nasty heavy metals. It's a little bit heavier, so they don't use it in the cars and the portable tools, but it's the one to use in stationary applications. Okay, super. Uh, glad to hear that. And, All right. And I, I, any comment on what you think's coming along next year for batteries? Um, I'm I'm a fairly cynical battery person. I've been promised for thirty years miracle batteries <laughs> three hundred times, and and I've always promised my students when I teach solar classes that when the miracle battery comes out. I'm going to miss it by five years, but at least I didn't go down with the boat another 37 times in the past. But I think the lithium ions are definitely proving themselves now. I was pretty skeptical at first, especially given how expensive they are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm nervous the price is going to go up with supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and Doug, I agree with you on that, which is lithium ion batteries are are perfectly serviceable and so much better than the batteries are five and certainly 10 years ago. Um, and I was a skeptic as well with you. When I put my system in in 2004, I thought those batteries just, you know, didn't cut it at that point. But I am now ready to go with a battery in part because uh, you don't know how fast the PUC is going to move to try to uh, screw over solar customers every way they can. Mm-hmm. Well, like I was saying, you can put in a system that doesn't have batteries that is very easily converted. There's systems that all you have to do is put in the batteries, and it's ready to go. And it works fine without the batteries as a grid-tied non-battery system. Super. And again, lithium-ion phosphate is is your favorite. Um, Are they uh, available right now? I mean, is that – are they gettable? Yeah, I've, I've certainly ordered them i haven't seen a shortage on them i actually okay. have seen a shortage Super. on lithium on uh, lead acid oh. <laughs> well maybe that's maybe that's good news so we don't have the those uh you know difficult batteries and, and they last less less long so doug so. tell people when they can hear your show next uh, uh next wednesday at 7 p.m all right same every slot. other wednesday in the same slot here seven o'clock next wednesday thanks yep. doug thanks for calling in good night bye-bye you know, one thing I was thinking is that we were talking about solar tax, and people, when they hear tax, they think, what, quarter cent sales tax or something? Oh, here, yes, there. This uh, tax is actually going to really hit people hard, right? Like $500 a year or things like that. Do you want to talk about the scale of it? Either of yeah, you? So the, so the, the CPUCs, there's a couple of different versions of what they put on the table. In December, the version they put on the table would have been about $700 a year for your average size system. The one that they are now saying they're considering, we model out to be between three and six hundred dollars a year, and um, the one that they, the most recent one that they put on the table is is particularly pernicious, in my opinion, because um, what they're going to do is levy the tax on the solar energy that you produce and consume at home. I'm just letting that pause for a moment. I mean, right. they're going to literally, and they're not even. They don't. They in, addition even the, in, in addition to the three hundred, three hundred to six hundred dollars a year. No, that is the three hundred to six hundred dollars a year. Oh, okay. Is 
them calculating the energy that you use at home. Okay. They're going to reach behind your meter mm-hmm. and then say, we're going to tax you based on that energy. Mm-hmm. And it would be the equivalent of, and Loretta has heard me say this before, it would be the equivalent of taxing people for hang-drying their clothing rather than running the clothes dryer. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that and, good and, analogy. Well, well, you wouldn't want PG&E to suffer a diminution in sales profits, would you? Uh, so yes. the more you help the environment by making more solar energy that you use, the more you will pay for that, which is just counter to every single California clean energy policy that is in statute. And you would think that some court would say, hey, that doesn't add up, guys. Um, but first you have to get a court to take the case and take a look at what the the PUC's cockamamie ideas here. Uh, this is a little. This is a little off to Annie's um, question, but I want to mention it because I think it gives you a window into the psychology of the folks at the CPUC who are proposing this solar tax. Um, I, I listened in on a hearing recently, um, and one of the questions to the CPUC staff was, "Why are why is why is it a problem when people make their own energy rather than buy the energy from the utility?" And they gave some kind of long-winded answer, but they they kept referring to solar users as grid defections. That was what they were calling it. And it was so interesting because as somebody, I'm 40, I'm going to be 49 next month. And when I think of the word defector, I think of brave heroes who, you know, fled oligarchic, authoritarian, monopolistic governments you know, at the risk of their own lives. I think of like Anatoly Sharansky and like mm-hmm. Nadia Comaneci and Bella Caroli. I think of the, that's what I think of as a defector. And these, you have this kind of Soviet-like agency that isn't even self-aware enough of their own captive, own captiveness to the monopoly that they refer to solar users as these like grid defectors as if they're somehow this like evil thing. And I think that's like the thinking is so, this bubble that's been created is, you know, why the, you see these ludicrous proposals. And as soon as you step an inch outside of the CPUC and you get to some of these other agencies that aren't captive, you start to get more, you know, reality. But that's what's going on. Well, and way too many uh, folks at the PUC, as well as some consumer groups, have drunk the Kool-Aid on the fact, on the concept that we are all PG&E's. We are Mm -hmm. all their customers and it can't be any other way. So if you don't buy every single iota of your power from PG&E, you're bad because that means the PUC can't regulate you and PG&E doesn't profit from you. So they see us as a commodity that belongs to PG&E rather than as a citizen, a consumer, a voter, a resident of California that deserves clean, safe, reasonably priced electricity. Okay, let's take our next call. This will be our last call, I'm sure. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. What's your first name and from where are you calling? Heather Albion. Hello, Heather. Um, I'm just thinking, does the CPUC also, are they also in charge of monitoring, like, uh, nuclear power plants? Uh, If the utilities own them, so yes, indeed, they monitor the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, and let's just say they do it super poorly. There's also a federal agency, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, that does. One thing I'm thinking about that, I just heard on a show within the last couple of days, that when they build a nuclear power plant, who knows how long it takes for the permit and to build it, but once they build it, they build it to last 40 years. 
And then a later factoid that came out was that it takes one million years for the uh, waste product of that industry to uh, break down again to where it's the same radiation level as the uranium ore that they took out. Mm -hmm. Now, basic math, a five-year-old could do basic math and go, that ain't going to work. And so what I'm saying is anyone involved, whether it's in the industry or in the uh, regulatory agencies, if they can't do that kind of math and understand that it's just a clear no, then they're not qualified to have that office or authority or agency or access to resources. That's what i got to say about that. Okay, Amen. Let's, let's go to our guests then and get their comment, and then we're going to have to wrap up. Yeah, Thanks for calling. We're Bye. down to the wire now. So. Mm-hmm. Comment on the... We're down to one uh, atomic plant in the state, are we not? Uh, Sacramento closed theirs? Yes. we uh, Diablo Canyon, which actually has two reactors, but it is one plant site, okay. is the only power plant that currently operates in California. Thank goodness. And it's, sca- it's scheduled to close in 2025 because mm-hmm. that's as far as it's permitted, licensed by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Mm-hmm. However, our governor has just proposed that the, PUC- that the PG&E apply to the feds to uh, get money to keep it running. Well, a whole other bag of worms there. Um, so I think, uh, Dave, you had a phone number on the, 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 the on your lips uh, earlier in the show. Would you like <laughs> to mention that again? Yeah, so I highly encourage um, all the listeners out there to tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. when the governor's office opens to give him a call, 916-445-2841. And I will also say, if you're feeling very motivated, do that tomorrow at 9 a.m. And then also next Tuesday, do it as also at 9 a.m. Why next Tuesday? It's the longest day of the year. And in fact, there are 897 minutes of sunshine um, next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so we want 897 people at least to call the governor, each one representing one of those minutes of sunshine. So um, call them twice, 916-445-2841, and do not let up until he takes a stand. Okay, well then let me thank you for being with us. This is Dave Rosenfeld, Loretta Lynch. Good conversation about influence on the CPU's upcoming decision and what the public can do about it. Thank you for that phone number to call, and thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. This has been Corporations and Democracy, broadcast on third Thursdays. And we'll be back again on, uh, what the heck it is, July. I have a date here, July 21st. And for more information about what you can do about the general issues that we discuss, go to thealliancefordemocracy.org. Thanks for listening. And coming up next, The Treehouse with W. Dan. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.